0: Jim's first thought was she looks like an angel. It was an easy thought to jump to one which the killer had obviously done a good job creating. She was lying face down in a dumpster at the back end of a narrow alley. The dumpster smelled fairly strong of trash but Jim could still smell the bay from just a few hundred feet away. The girl was wearing a white dress or robe and her feet were bare Across her back, something long and white seemed to unfold and spread like wings, up over her shoulders. Every trace of blood had been cleaned off the white clothes, but Jim was sure it had bled a lot when it happened. He had read about this, but never seen it. He straightened up from his bent-over position and walked a little closer to the girl, without caring too much about the chain of evidence. At this point, he knew the lab boys had already done all they could. He knelt and let his hand touch the soft membrane of the wings. He was right. It was indeed the girl's ribs and lungs that had been spread out, creating the illusion of wings. It's called the Blood Eagle. Inspector Charles's voice came from behind him. He was climbing up onto the dumpster and crouched on the edge. Not bad for a man of his considerable weight, Jim thought. I've heard of it. It's an old Norse method of torture. Torture is about right. Except in this case, we are not yet sure if the mutilation was done before or after death. We hope to God it was after. Jim felt sick to his stomach. What have you got so far? The girl is Mary Louise West, fourteen years old. She was at a church choir rehearsal at 8 p.m., left to go straight home. She only had a few blocks, and it was in a nice part of town. She never made it. Lab boys say they think she died somewhere around 10 or 11, giving him a little less than an hour to get her here before she was found by a night janitor emptying the trash cans. He called us. Charles wiped his face with his hand. Who in the hell would do something like that? She's just a little girl. Jim nodded. Roger, can I have a minute? If you want me to help you with this. Yeah, yeah, of course. Charles cleared his throat. I'll be over there, looking over her stuff. Her stuff? She had a purse which was left next to the dumpster. It's being dusted for prints right now. Jim knew that would be useless but didn't say it. Someone who did a thing like this, with this kind of detail, would not leave something as sloppy as Prince. He would be far too careful for that. Charles climbed down. His suit jacket crept up when he climbed, but he shook it back in place with a grimace. Jim closed his eyes for a moment, concentrating. Mary Louise West, he whispered. If you're still here, show yourself. He opened his eyes, looking around. The alleyway was surprisingly free of spirits. Normally they cluttered like spectators when someone died. Mary Louise West, Jim whispered again. If you hear me, come to me. Tell me what happened to you. A small white form seemed to seep out of the dark in the corner of the dumpster. The girl was looking smaller than her real-life body, hunched over. Jim was thankful that the spirit usually tended to look like the image the person had of him or herself, and not like they did when they actually died. If he had been forced to converse with torn-up bodies, he would have gone mad a long time ago. Mary Louise, he asked, looking at the spirit. She nodded. Did you see the man who killed you? She trembled visibly, making the edges of her form look like smoke being blown by the wind. She nodded again, slowly. Can you tell me about him? I know it's hard for you to talk, but if you can, it will help me catch him. It might mean he doesn't hurt anyone else. Concentrate, and try to shape the words with your mind. He could tell Mary Louise was trying to summon the strength to communicate. It was hard for her. She was scared and knew it being dead. Jim had heard about the various stages of sorrow from a psychologist he had spoken to when his wife died and found them silly. But he had his own stages of death. Fear, desperation, anger, reclusion, and finally acceptance and moving on. Some spirits never made this last stage. They would hang around the shadow world, watching the living and mostly resenting them, sometimes stalking their living friends and relatives. In rare cases, they might take to teasing living people as a poltergeist or haunting a house. Jim knew of a man who had haunted the subway system in New York City for fifty years, unable to move on because he loved to make the trains late by fiddling with the electronics. Fortunately, only a select few got that good and were able to manipulate the physical world. Mostly, they were merely insubstantial, invisible ghosts. There are three paths presented to you. Dice Tower Theater presents Dawn of Dragons, a fantasy audio drama. Ambush! For old intents, I should have you exiled. Time to sweet. The sunless. <laughs> Dice Tower Theater, now appearing on TFN Audio from the Fantasy Network. Creator distributed, fan supported. Tall, big glasses, Mary Louise whispered. Jim was impressed. She learned quickly. He twirled his fingers, urging her on. Tattoo, here, she said, pointing to her neck where it met the shoulder. Bird. It should be helpful, Jim thought. Glasses could be discarded, but a tattoo was harder to hide, especially if it was visible outside of regular clothes. Anything else you remember? Jim asked. He made his voice soft and comforting as much as he could. She shook her head slowly, then suddenly looked up and nodded. She lifted her hand to her mouth and mimed biting into it. "'He bit you?' "'She shook her head, pointing to herself. "'He understood. "'You bit him, good girl, on the hand. "'She mimed blood running out of the hand "'and then stopped the mime, pointing to her own smooth skin. "'She moved her fingers in a gesture that mimed something vanishing. "'Jim felt a cold chill run down his spine.' You bit him and it bled, but then it stopped bleeding. She nodded again. And then the wound closed and was gone. Another nod. Thank you, Mary Louise. You've been a great help. I promise you I will do everything I can to catch the man who hurt you. Mary Louise tried speaking again, but this time Jim couldn't hear her. His lip-reading skills, however, was good enough for him to recognize the words, I want my mom, on her lips. I know you do, honey. But your mom can't see you anymore, or hear you. Only very special people like me can. Your mom misses you very much, I'm sure of it. But if you hang around here too long to watch her, you will be stuck here. You've got to move on. Even though I know you don't want to do that right now. She shook her head. I can't tell you what to do. But when you feel like you can move on, you should. Everything's better than what you've got right now. Thanks again, honey. I'll do my very best to get him. Mary Louise sent him a final sad look, raised her hand in a gesture of goodbye and slowly faded away. Jim got to his feet and swung his leg out of the dumpster. Charles looked up at him as he climbed down. Anything? I mean, I don't know how you do this stuff, but... Jim lit a cigarette and was not surprised his hands were shaking a little. I've already told you what I do, Roger. But you don't believe in spooks, remember? I don't know what the hell I believe with you, Jim. Charles wiped his face again, this time with a tissue. So did you get anything out of it? You're looking for a big, tall guy with glasses, although that's of course not a sure thing. He's strong, and he has a tattoo of a bird on his neck, right here. I don't know what bird, but based on the cruelty of his act, I doubt it's a peaceful little sparrow. Charles took out his notebook and jotted down Jim's description. Great. Tall and tattooed. That's only a quarter of the people in the Bay Area I know But there's something you should know about this guy Something you probably shouldn't put in your report Charles nodded What? He's going to be hard to stop He might be able to get up from a beating that would paralyze someone else Even if you shoot him He might still just keep coming Are you saying Superman killed her? I don't know what I'm saying. But if you manage to corner him, be very, very careful. Jim straightened his hat and blew smoke out of his nose. How closely is the department going to watch you on this? Well, the newshounds have already been here. The Chronicle was here within twenty minutes, in fact. I bet someone tipped them off. So we're probably going to get a lot of press. Why? I'd like to conduct some investigation on my own. If that's okay with you. Jim. Charles shook his head. I can't tell you that's okay. You know that. You're not officially a cop. You're exclusively as a consultant. Then consult me. Because I think something about this case might be hard for you guys to do without my help. I'm not asking you to deputize me or anything. Just let things seep my way if you find out something. Okay. Charles grimaced. Can't exactly say no, can I? And You just gave us the only lead we have to go off. I guess you can't. How are the fingerprints on the purse? Non-existent. The clothes don't seem to reveal anything either. This guy's a fucking ghost. I wish he was. Keep me posted, Roger. Jim turned and walked out of the alley, ducking under the police tape. A few camera phones clicked at him, but he turned his head away. He wasn't interested in getting recognized. He threw his cigarette into a sewer grate and unlocked his car. Getting him behind the wheel, he sat for a moment, holding on to it and letting his eyes search the street. A man who killed a little girl and made her look like an angel to mock a god who had done him wrong, or perhaps despite that same god a man good and experienced enough at what he did to not leave any tracks except in the spirit of his victim. A man who healed his wounds so fast you could see it happen. The last part was the most important, because it might answer the question Jim Corrigan had asked himself for so long. Am I alone? Looking at Market Street in the glow of the streetlights, He no longer thought he was.